0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, uh, as you turn there, I just wanted to take a moment to thank Brother Tim and Sister Tracy publicly for hosting us all last night at the Christmas party. Uh, That takes a lot of time and effort, and uh, I know they do it with love, so thank you all for loving us. And uh, if you haven't hugged their neck for that, be sure to do that. Um, I know that that was a, uh, as Brother Tim said last night, that was uh, motivated. Uh, out of love from the bottom of their heart, and I'm thankful that, uh, that y'all care that much about us. In 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, I want to go over a, a few things that's uh, that came to my mind when Brother Tim was preaching several weeks ago, um, and he had uh, talked a little bit about David and Goliath, and um, my thoughts kind of got stirred as he was preaching on that, and hopefully I can share some thoughts with you from that this morning. It's something that's very familiar to most everybody, even the young ones who have... Uh, uh, read some Bible story books about the account of David and Goliath. Uh, there are some things in there that have always perplexed me and been um, you know, something that made me scratch my head a little bit and just wonder about. Of course, I was not there to witness it, but everything that the Lord wanted me to know about it, He gave us in the Scriptures here. And so I want to read just a few things here <clears throat> just to refresh your memory about the account of David and Goliath. And if you remember... Um, there comes a time when the Philistine army is on one side of a valley and the Israelite army is on another side of the valley and so in between them you've got this uh, it says that the uh, Philistines were up on one side of the mountain the he- uh, Hebrews on the other side of the mountain and the valley was in between them and the Bible says for 40 uh, days that Goliath uh, and it says that Goliath was a champion out of the camp of the Philistines he was 6 cubits and a span the best I can figure out that's 9 feet 9 inches tall uh, because a cubit is 18 inches and a span is 9 inches. So here is a man that's 9 foot 9 inches tall, which is tall, right? Um, and I uh, had a brother make a good point to me uh, some time ago that it said, you know, we don't know that the Hebrews, uh, you know, uh, there are some nationalities even in present day that are just shorter than others, right? And um, maybe the Hebrews, maybe they were a shorter nationality. You know, when Saul came along, King Saul says he was head and shoulders above them all. So maybe they were shorter. Well, if a short guy's looking at, if I'm looking at a nine foot, nine inch man, that's tall. But if you're short, you know, I walked into a restaurant the other day and there was a guy that held the door for me and he was enormous. And I said, man, you have got to play football somewhere. And he was one of the starting offensive linemen for Alabama. And I thought, my goodness, this guy is truly a giant. But he couldn't touch nine feet, nine inches. And so this champion comes out for 40 days, morning and evening. And he calls out to the uh, Israelites and he mocks them. And he has a proposition for them. And it says, He stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? But if I prevail against him and, I, and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us? And he goes on and he says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man. All right, what is he doing? He's looking for a man. He's looking for a person that is willing to come out and fight him. Now, this is one of the things that has always kind of perplexed me. You have an army of men here that have probably been trained uh, in battle and in combat, and it goes against the nature of a man to let something like this go on. It really does. Uh, the spirit of competition that, that is in a man, I mean, if, uh, if I said it right now, I said, I'm gonna take a rock out of my pocket and I'm gonna toss it towards that wall, And I bet you that I can get my rock closer to that wall than you can get your rock without hitting the wall. Every single man in here that's worth his salt would be like, I bet you (laughs) can. I bet I can get it close. And there's just something that wells up inside a man that makes you want to compete and to to perform, right? If I said, uh, I bet you I can go out and uh, when this service is over and I can take a ball and I can throw it further than anybody in here, every single teenage boy that's in here would be lined up out there saying, I bet you can't. That's just the way men are designed. Here you have an army of men that have been trained and they're looking at this enemy and nobody in this army has the courage to get up and go out and fight this man. I want you to think about our our military. Think about maybe the United States Marines. What if there was a camp full of United... I've got some friends that are Marines. United States Marines that were sitting in a camp, and across the way, one person came out of the enemy's camp and challenged them. Do you think those Marines would just sit there? Somewhere in there, that spirit of a man, which, listen, I I believe it's dying. It's, It's harder and harder and harder to find valiant men. But somewhere, surely in this camp, is there not somebody that will get up and say well i'll go do it i mean you're sitting there you got 10 guys maybe in the camp of israel and goliath comes out and if nothing else just the pride to not want to be ashamed in front of your buddies Like, well, i'll go fight him you're not gonna go fight him i'll go fight him what's wrong with these men well the more i thought about that i would like to have thought that i'd have been sitting there and be like we're gonna let this go on None of y'all have enough backbone to get up and go fight this man? I'm going to get up and go fight if nothing else to make myself look a little tougher than you. That's just the way men think. And every man in here knows I'm exactly right. Yeah, thank you. Y'all don't act like I'm something bad of we not can't, We can't help it. But what would stop me from doing that? What would terrify me? Because the Bible says over and over and over again that they were afraid. What would terrify me? is that I don't know that I would have the courage to do it in representation of all of that army. You understand what I'm saying? Like I'll go out there and fight you and if you kill me, big deal, I'm dead. But the whole Israel camp is dependent upon my success. I don't know that I've got the courage to represent all the people. If, You said today, all right, I'm going to toss a rock at that wall and try to get as close as I can to it without hitting the wall, but if I can't get within a foot of it, then everybody in Pickens County and Tuscaloosa County is going to cost them $50,000. Well, then I'd be a lot more afraid to toss the rock. I hope that makes sense. It's a big deal when you are doing something that is going to have that big of an impact on the Army. And so July comes out here... Time after time. And what does he say? He says, hey, choose a man. Choose a man. Which one of you are really a man? Y'all are just a bunch of little boys. Y'all are a bunch of, what do you say when you're a kid? You're a bunch of fraidy cats. You're chicken. Choose a man. And then he goes on and says, give me a man to come out. Well, time goes by, right? 40 days, evening and, uh, morning and evening, he goes out. And then what happens? Along comes this shepherd boy, the most unlikely of heroes, the most, uh, the person that you would probably not think is the most courageous, valiant, brave man, but he is, I mean, he is dripping with what a man's spirit should be. I mean, this, this, this young boy, he has got the valiancy that we need as men. And he goes up there. He hasn't had the training everybody else has had. And he goes up there, and the first time he hears what Goliath says, because the Bible says he's there when Goliath comes out, the first time he comes out, you can just see David looking around like, y'all are letting this go on? What's wrong with y'all? You are a bunch of fraidy cats. And maybe one of them said, there's too much riding on this if I lose. I don't mind fighting one-on-one and me being the only one that takes the penalty, but I'm not about to go out there and represent The whole entire army against a nine foot nine inch man but David says I'll do it I'll go do it and they try to deck David out with all this armor and David's like this you know I haven't proven this I haven't worn this I've never tried this I've never fought with this I don't want to do it this way and so the Bible says he comes out to Goliath and Goliath begins to mock him and this is what it says about David. David says, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I love that. I love the way he said that. That is a man filled with courage and bravery and valiance. standing up and saying, Uh-uh, this is not going down this way. This is bottom of the ninth, two outs. You're down by one, base is loaded, and you're at bat. It's a high-pressure clutch situation. And David has got ice water running through his veins. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is filling him up. Amen. And he says, not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. I love this picture. Yes. That David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Don't picture David kind of creeping up, you know, like, all right, I got I to strike when I can. I'm trying to find his weakness. You watch two boxers, UFC fighters, that they, boy, they're dancing around, looking, trying to, David runs to him. And he never even makes it there. Never even makes it. As he's running, he takes a sling out and he sinks it into the head of the giant. The giant falls and he's dead. He takes his own sword and cuts the giant's head off. And don't ever forget this. The sword did not deliver David and Israel. But the sword manifested the deliverance. The word of God is our sword that manifests the deliverance that God has already given us. Now... I love the fact here that David was not afraid. Maybe, maybe he was in his humanity. Maybe there was a little bit of, uh, you know, at times second guessing. Uh, I, I like that he ran to him because what do we do when, uh, when the football team is down by two and they've got to kick a field goal with one second left to win? What's the opposing coach do? He calls a timeout. Why? To ice the kicker. Because typically when we've got something big in front of us, the longer we think about it, the more nervous we get and we'll talk ourselves out of it. David said, I'm not giving the devil that opportunity and I'm sprinting to this Philistine and he kills him. David was steadfast and David was determined and David had no fear of representing the masses. Now, I want you to box that up for just a second and let me come back to it. I want you to turn to Isaiah, the 59th chapter for just a second. Isaiah, the 59th chapter. This is a very unsettling passage of scripture because it is describing us. It is it is us reading about our own selves and how pitiful we are as fallen human beings. Starting in verse two, it says your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath uh, murdered perverseness. None calleth for justice nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web and eateth the eggs. And he that eateth the eggs dieth and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. And he goes on. Skip some verses. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their past. The way of peace they have not known. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth there shall not know peace. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. That's us. That is a description of the tragic nature that sin has upon people. That is where we are. And the... Lord says, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. The Lord looks at a mass of people who according to this have a terrible, terrible fallen, corrupt nature. And he's looking for somebody to intercede for them and to save them. And the Bible says there was nobody. Think about the Israelite camp. Here you've got a defiant Goliath staring down Israel. And what does he say? Choose a man. Choose a man. Give me a man. And there is no man. Maybe because they were afraid to represent everybody. But the Lord says, I want, there was no man. I wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. Now, in Isaiah, the 50th chapter, I want you to notice the parallels between David and the Lord. Remember, what did David do? David did not uh, tremble and quake and, and, and you know, run circles. He didn't hide uh, in a tree hoping he could ambush Goliath. David picked up... He put off all the modern-day uh, armor. He picked up five smooth stones. He runs towards Goliath. He sprints to him and he kills him. He was determined. Now... In Isaiah the 50th chapter, it's very similar to the 59th chapter. It said, "Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away, or where are my, where, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye you sold yourselves and for your transgressions is your mother put away? Don't ever forget, and don't ever believe this, that God created people and predestined them to go to hell. Because he didn't, the Bible's very, very clear. He says, where, where, which of my creditors is it to whom I've sold you? He says, you sold yourself. Your iniquities have ye sold yourselves and for your transgression is your mother put away. This is not my doing. I created man to be holy and upright. It is man that condemned himself to hell. And there's a, there's a vast valley between the Lord and his people. And what stands in between them is death and sin and corruptness. And where is the man? The Lord said, there is none. And he said, then I'll bring my own man. He said, wherefore, when I came, notice this, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? And then he says, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver up? At my rebuke I drop the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stinketh because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. And he goes on and talks about the magnificent of the magnificence of the Lord. And then it says this for I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He's talking about his moments up before he's crucified on the cross. Listen, they didn't take him. He gave his back to the smiters. He did not wrestle with them and fight them as they laid him over and beat him with the cat of nine tails. He gave them his back. And he gave them his face. I hope nobody comes up and pulls the hair out of my face today. Because it would hurt. But he let them. He gave that to them. And he didn't hide his face from the shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint determined you know the bible says uh in uh i believe it's the book of luke when the lord is getting ready to go into jerusalem for the very last time the bible says he set his face steadfastly now you think when david came running out of that army that he was second guessing anything it doesn't sound like it It sounds like David said, I'll represent the people. And for the glory of God, will I run out there in haste to my enemy and destroy him and feed his flesh to the carcasses? The Lord said, there's no man to intercede. There's no man to save my people. But my arm is not too short that I can't give them a man to deliver. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave him that responsibility. And when it came time for that... Knowing what he was going to endure, he set his face like a flint. He was determined and he went to do it. You ever been that determined to do something? I have. I've had situations in my life like, I'm going to do this or I will fall over dead. And it may be something simple, but I've got my mindset, I'm going to get this screw in that piece of wood, even though it's stripped out, if it kills me. But the Lord said, I'm going. And I'm going to set my face steadfastly. And I'm going to run towards the giant of sin and death. I'm going to give myself to the giant. I'm going to give myself to the wrath of God in order to be the intercessor. Now, hold that box. Let's go to Romans, the third chapter, for just a second. I promise you I'm going to tie all this together. Romans, the third chapter. Verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew, and what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Notice this verse. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Hold the phone. Hold the phone on that. Why in the world does God need faith? Because the Bible says here, did them not believing make the faith of god of none effect brothers and sisters god doesn't need faith what is faith the evidence of things hoped for the substance of things not seen but the bible says the eyes of the lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good what is it psalms 39 or 139 it talked david's like where can i go that you don't see me i can go to the bottom of the seas i can go hide here hide there but you're everywhere A man that knows all, sees all, why does he need faith? He doesn't. Because this is talking about faithfulness. What if some of them did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faithfulness of God of none effect? What about the men in this camp? Clearly, none of those men in the camp thought, had any confidence or belief that David could go out there and slay the giant. They even laughed at him. You're just a boy. You can't do this. They did not believe he could do it. Did that change the faithfulness of David to go do it? No. See, their belief didn't change that. And the Bible says, what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Now, let's go to Galatians, the second chapter for just a second. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law but by the faith of jesus christ y'all hear me i've already explained to you that god does not need faith and this talks about that we're not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of jesus christ he doesn't need faith it's talking about his faithfulness his faithfulness was presented as setting his face like a flint His faithfulness was manifest because he set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to have to give his back to the smiters and his cheek to those that plucked out the hair. You see, Jesus Christ is full of faithfulness in being the arm of salvation that God brought because there was no other man to bring it. Now, let me close. Ephesians 2, 8. Understanding everything I've told you this morning. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now listen. Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's not your faith. That's through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. To do the work the Father sent him to do. How do I know that? Because the next sentence says, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The faith that we're talking about in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse eight is not your faith. It's not the faith of God because he doesn't need it. It's not the faith of Christ because he doesn't need it. It's the faithfulness of a savior who is able to secure our salvation and has nothing to do with you. According to God's word, it is a gift of God. And then verse nine says, not of works lest any man should boast. Brothers and sisters, I've said it before, if there's a method of salvation presented in this world that even gives you the opportunity to boast about what you did to make it happen, it's not a salvation that's in the Bible. Because the only boasting that can be done about salvation of man is that the Lord was faithful in his pursuit of a people that was given to him and he died and he saved them End of subject. Amen. Now, last verse. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Why did he do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, endured the hair being plucked from his face, endured the smiting of his back, endured the spitting and the shame. And he dis- uh, he despised the shame And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God on how why was the Lord faithful? The prize for the Lord was not an eternity in heaven. He already had that. The prize for the Lord Jesus Christ was not to get to walk among the angels and hear them sing holy, holy, holy. He already had that. He already had all the magnificence of heaven and glory. But the Bible says the reason he endured the cross and despised the shame, the reason he remained faithful and set his face like a flint was because of the joy set before him. Amen. That is you. Amen. That is not heaven. He already had that. When the Lord set his face like a flint, when, when David came out of that army and he ran to the giant to kill him, he did it for the camp of Israel and to honor God Almighty. And when the Lord Jesus Christ set his face like a flint to go to the cross and endured it, he did it for the covenant people that the Lord gave him before the foundation of the world. And it is his faithfulness and grace that we are saved, Amen. not on any other account or merit. Rose, if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. <laughs> Ephesians 2 and 8, some may come to you someday and say, nope, see right here. It says that it's through faith that we're saved. Brothers and sisters, I've shown you as clear as crystal that that's the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that we're saved by. I hope that's been profitable, and please pray for Brother Tim.